Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I'm your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey, CJ Wesley. CJ and the Duke reaches a wide range of ServiceNow admins, developers, and product owners. If you're interested in sponsoring our content and having your brand spotlighted at the start of each cast, check out the description below for how to contact us. In this episode, we're talking people, process, and tools. <laughs> yeah, but in this case, we want you to walk away with something that's actually useful because we've sat through this lecture over 100 times already. Preach, brother. Preach. <laughs> Man, I'm trying to tell you, right? Like, we always talk about people, process, tools, and, and it's always boilerplate, right? Yeah. We're going to do something better. People say that as if that solves a problem. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, people, process, and tools. I'll just walk away and change absolutely nothing. I have zero practical insights and... <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like it's like three check boxes. I got people. Yeah, we got some processes. Oh, look, we found a tool. We are good. Not even. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is like every blog title in IT from the aughts, like from 2000 yes. to 2010. This was like every single ITSM blog was people processing tools. So in this episode, we're going to try really hard to make sure that at each when we talk about each of these things, you walk away with like practical ways to do better in each of those areas right yeah and we'll, we'll also let you know like why these things matter right like because that's a key thing to understand and when you when people say people process tools right you want to know why people why process why tools mm -hmm. right so we'll give you some understanding around those as well so we're just going to come right out and say it when we talk about people and process and tools what we're really talking about is people Okay, so like each of those three things do exist, but people is by far the most important thing. And it's Corey and I believe that good teams overcome the limitations of processes and tools. That's how we know they're good. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not even close, man. Like you give, you give me a good team of people and you could conquer the world. People say, process, process, process. And people say, well, we need the best tool, right? No, you need the best people. People are prime. People are number one, right? With a good team, you can do what the things that you could do are practically limitless. Right. And we're going to try and make this case as we provide kind of examples about what we're talking about here. So knowing that we have a definitive bias towards people in the people process tools triangulation, let's talk a little bit about how you make good teams of people. Making up a good team to me comes down to three different things, right? The two, diversity of opinion, room to speak, right? You cannot have a successful team unless the people on your team are good, right? And, and that doesn't mean that they all start out good right now. It just means that they all start out with the ability to be good, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and you, you're going to need some, don't get me wrong, right? Like you can't start out with a team like full of rookies, right? Who don't know anything about anything. But you do want to you do want to make sure that the aptitude to get better is there. Right. Right. So that's the like the number one thing for me is that you want a bunch of smart people on your team who have the ability to grow. And then you want to have diversity of opinion. And the reason you want to have diversity of opinion is because you don't want to get yourself painted into a corner where everyone's believing the same thing and everyone's wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, this this happens way more often than than anyone uh, would probably believe because a lot of people are biased to their own bubble, right? But you want to have a team that has different viewpoints on technology, on process, on life, right? Mm -hmm. And and they and so and they bring those viewpoints and that opinionation, right, to to the team itself. So when if you're going down a road and that road might not be the right one, you have some people on 
on the team who have experience who can speak up and you know offer an opinion on why this role might look different than what the correct role would be. Yeah, I've always said like some of the most interesting service now talent that I've ever come across and the ones I like listening to are people that they didn't come from IT, they came from someplace different. Right. And I think that's just my way of expressing the value of a diverse opinion, an outsider opinion, a different experienced opinion. Absolutely. Right. But talk more about that room to speak though, because that's like, it's one thing to just have the capability for the diverse opinion, but. But you got to have room to speak, right? You got to have room to be able to speak out that, uh, that diverse opinion. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter if you, you have a different opinion than the, the main body of folks in the uh, room. If you don't have the room to express that opinion to the rest of the team, they're still not going to hear you and they're still not going to, you're still not going to be able to influence the direction of the team, the pro the process or the, or the, or the tool itself. So, you know, it's really important that everyone have the room to speak that diverse opinion and that they feel comfortable in exercising it in. And that room doesn't necessarily come from being the smartest person in the room, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it comes from just, you know, everyone on the team respecting each other and giving way to diverse opinions and allow, allowing folks the room to, to breathe and the room to express themselves. And as long as you can have, as long as you have that on the team, right, then all of those diverse opinions kind of flow and they kind of feed off of each other. And some people are going to be wrong and that's okay. Some people are going to be right and that's yeah. okay. But, you know, steel sharp is steel at the end of the day, right? And so you want all of that to come out. I feel like we would probably do an episode on that just by itself. Absolutely. How do you get a team that has the trust and openness to speak openly when you have a variation in skill level and background. Yeah. Like who am I to challenge the big master dev, right? Who am I to challenge the master architect? Well, maybe you're precisely the guy to challenge the master architect, right? Or the girl to challenge the master architect. Funny story, right? You, you're talking about that, right? So I was the new guy at, at the last corporate job that I had. I'd been on, on a job maybe about a month and internet service went down to one of our offices, to our website actually. And this, this was like a really big deal. And so one of our smartest guys, probably the smartest guy we had in IT, is up in the office with the CTO. And he's, you know, literally like, this is how big it is. He's got his laptop in the CTO's office and he's troubleshooting in the CTO's office from his laptop. And this is, and I'm at my desk and, you know, I, I like to, I like to troubleshoot problems. So I'm trying to figure it out as well. And so right about at the exact same time, we both come to the solution at the same time. Now um, him, he's been at the company for about 10 years. I've been there a couple of months. I ring up the, the CTO and I say, hey, it looks like the host between this endpoint and that endpoint is, that's where the, the ping is, is dying out, right? Or whatever it was. And mm -hmm. the, the, the senior guy in there, he's like, we just figured that out, right? And it's like right at the same time. And it became this thing. And it actually defined my career there because two weeks later, I got invited out to lunch with the CTO. And from that point on, I was on his radar and I stayed on his radar for his entire tenure there. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that when you, you know, when you've got the room to speak and express yourself in, in a room with other people who might have a higher level of skill than you, and you still are able to, to voice your opinion, good things can always happen. So Robert, what makes a good team in your opinion? Okay, I think back to one of the major re-architectures I did, where it's basically I assembled a really quick team. I was blessed to have some of the best in the business at the time. This was like back in 2013. If I was to qualify what it was that made that team great. I'd say a aptitude, right? Just like you, Preach. you have to have some people that just know who've been there, done that, who know what to do or who know how to figure it out. Right. The second would be enthusiastic participation. 
everybody was excited about this horrible situation that we were trying to fix. Like it was, they were motivated by the challenge. So enthusiastic participation is key. Yeah. And then I would say vision and storytelling. So it wasn't just that we were there to build service. Now we were there to radically improve the customer experience on service. Now radically improve the level of administrative effort it took to keep this thing going radically improve everybody's experience, radically improve the perception of the tool. So there was a definitive vision behind it. And then the storytelling aspect, like everybody on the team had to be part of telling people, hey, why are we rebuilding this from scratch? And why is it a good thing for you? Why should you be motivated to help me get this thing rebuilt from scratch? So for me, getting the people part of the equation right was about aptitude, vision, enthusiastic participation, and storytelling. All right. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Doubling down on that vision and storytelling, I, I think that is something that's not often focused on enough. And I think there really needs to be more visibility around it. You know, ironically speaking about vision. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, telling the story is really important once you, once you get out of the room with the rest of your team. You really need to get other people on board with your vision so that you can actually have room to develop it and execute, right? And you can't do that without selling them on a story. Another way to say this, less about the stories that open the world, but more the stories that put constraints around it. I once had this experience where I had this BA that was just not on board with the story. We had a customer that was, they, they were worriers, right? Like if you put new information in front of them, they were worrying that they were going down the wrong path. Uh, they were worrying that they do the wrong thing. Get more committees together. Let's talk about this more. We got to make sure we do this right. And so I had this BA who wasn't the kind of BA who was there to interpret what the business is saying and then express that to us. It was more the BA that was, oh, but ServiceNow can do this and you can do that. And you can, and they were like, basically, like the story was get these people to the finish line this right. way. <laughs> <laughs> but they were off story by opening up a world that they were not prepared for. Right. Not culturally prepared for. So when I say storytelling, it, it's keeping on narrative sometimes too. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally see that. Yeah, it's a bit of a tangent, but I still no, think, I it's, think useful. it's useful as well. I think, you know, making sure that you stay on point is, is really important when you're telling a good story. Well, especially if your team transcends, like it's not just your organization, you got a couple of vendor partners in too. That makes it even more difficult. But I think it has to be a unified story that business and partner are telling to the rest of the business. So we just tackled the people part of the people process tools pyramid. We unapologetically declare our bias that people is where you want to make the investment. Where people will encounter a process, a good team will overcome a bad process. A bad team won't get past a bad process. A good team with a good process is a force multiplier. So how do you make good processes? So when I think about a good process, right, I think that the process should be repeatable. I think it should be scalable. And I think it has to freaking work. You know, in terms of it being repeatable, like no process is a process unless you can actually do it over and over and get the same results. Right? So otherwise, I mean, that's the very definition mm -hmm. of process. So if you have, you know, something that you're calling a process, but sometimes it, it returns a result that's other than what's expected, you don't have a process, right? And you definitely don't have a good one. You know, and then scalable, like everyone builds a process for the right now. Nobody builds it for the future. You need to build it for the future because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I have a client right now, and they've built a lot of their processes around the way things looked at the time two years ago. Uh, it turns out that they happen to be in an industry where acquisitions are normative. You know, they're undergoing one now. And you know, do, do those processes scale? 
not as well as they would like. Now we have to reimagine. Things. And so that's where the scalable part comes in. If you're really building that process out from the very beginning, you have to think about, will this process work for 500 users as it did for one user or 50 users? And will it still work for 5,000 users? Yeah. With this COVID stuff and the economic impact of it, we're bound to see some big time M&A action going on, right? Absolutely. So you can either like be the acquiring party and now you have 10 times the customer base to support, or you can be the acquired party, but the most dominant at that function. And therefore now all the work falls onto you. You can never escape the question of scale. When is this going to 10X? Yeah, exactly. And can it right. 10X? And if it can't 10X, is this something that's worth building anyway? Most of the time the answer is no. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's worth building, but not building in this way. If you want to have a good process, right? It's got to be scalable. You got to lock that down. And then the last one, you know, on my list is it just has to freaking work. You know, a process that, that doesn't work is just not a process. It's not worth investing in. It's, it's a waste of time. If I got five steps in my incident management process and every time I try to execute them, I get stuck on number three or I get stuck on number four. That process doesn't work. You just scrap it and start over or we need to fix it. It's got to mm -hmm. work in order for it to be a process. Otherwise, what you have, you know, you have heroes, people who know what should happen. And so they're going about making it happen by basically loading everybody up on their back and carrying them across the finish line. Now, don't get me wrong. I love heroes. I'm kind of a contrarian that way. A lot of people say, don't hire, you know, the quiet developer, but has like, you know, 50X the ability. I say, hire that guy and manage the heck out of him because that guy's gonna, he's gonna <laughs> give you so much, right? So get him and 2X or 3X the management, right? To make sure that he's on task. And a bit of a tangent, but yeah, I love heroes. But my point is when you when it comes to process, process has to work outside of having a hero carrying it. That's a great dovetail because when I think about times I saw process definitively not work or not work in disastrous ways. Okay, we all understand the process. It's held in that Visio on that SharePoint site that nobody goes to. Here's a process that's got 18 nodes on it. And let's drill into node one that's got a sub-process <laughs> of 18 nodes. And everybody's like, whoa. <laughs> And they show this once at the start of the project and once at the right. end of the project. And then everybody's like, whatever, you know, the tool's going to take care of it, which it doesn't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody's got process and procedure confused and nobody's doing the process. The process exists. It's right there on the SharePoint site that nobody uses. <laughs> yep. But somehow it doesn't work. So for me, how to make a better process is one that is a documented, but not documented in the conventional sense of we have a Visio, a large, complex, scientifically perfect Visio sits on the SharePoint site that nobody uses, but documented in a sense that's visible and consumable Amen. to the people who actually work the process. Right? I've seen this. I think the times I've seen this the best are coming out of PMOs that document like a demand management or a pre-project or a project candidate process. I don't know what it is about the people. They got that stuff dialed in. And I've never seen process areas in IT anyway <laughs> that were that dialed in. Like everybody knows how this works and what's next. Right. What comes next after Bob does his risk assessment? Then it goes to Jane and she does the blah, 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 blah. And then it goes to the steering committee. And then it goes to, the, they all just know the process because somehow exists in such a way that it spreads easily right? from, from user to user. So for me, like improving the process is improving the proliferation of the knowledge of how the process works in the first place. Great. I, I definitely think that is, that's something to aspire to. And and I think the reason that you don't see it in IT so much is because IT has a lot of hero complexes. 
where, you know, there's always a uh -huh. broken rung in that process and somebody is carrying it across a, a foreign land that you don't see in the documentation. Right. Oh man, I'm going to get shot for this one. I'm going to get dragged into the street and shot, but you know what else? IT has a shocking lack of engineering talent engaged in the execution, like the standing up of the processes. Yeah, agreed. They have like BA talent and it's, I love a good BA. God help me. I love a good BA. Okay. But like it, you compare like an engineering process flow, like how does a, like my uncle's head of everything that has to do with water for a town in Alberta, Canada. And you think about his process about how water gets into the city, flows around the city, gets sent back to the, like the places to process the water for reuse right. and stuff like that. Like that takes hardcore engineering talent which is different from a ba talent yeah and i think it sometimes puts its engineering talent specifically on solution side yeah but not on the process side agreed yep and so we make processes that are just kind of like it looks like it works this way i've documented how it looks and works but holy tangent Phil. no i mean <laughs> no I, I think that's a, a really good point because i think you know a corollary to that is that it often develops the solution before they develop the process and the documentation, right? They build the fix, oh, right? And then they go back and they write down what the fix, how the fix is implemented and what it does. Well, you, you, you're going to miss some things <laughs> because you didn't build the fix according to the solution that you, that you envision, right? Like you kind of set about identifying the problem and then just kind of, you know, get into the fix and then, oh my right? God. Or the requests that come in, like, can we make the tool work this way? Of course we can. Yeah. Let's do it. Except if anybody went back to the process, this process like explicitly says, don't do it that way. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> like, we don't do it that way. All right. Yeah. People are limited by their process or rather good people will overcome process, but good process will force multiply good people. Right. Absolutely. And so hopefully you came out with some wisdom there about how to make a good process. Okay, so now we're getting to the part of tools, and it's a kind of a paradox because we all come from the ServiceNow world. We all worship at the altar Absolutely. of ServiceNow and think it's the best yeah, things. But good people with good process will work miracles with sticky notes. Amen. So in some way, the tool is a limiting factor in terms of how fast they can go. It's only so fast sticky notes will go. But the best tool, if you put a crap team on it, and or a crap process. But if you put a crap team on it, watch how badly that tool turns out in a year. Yeah. So the tool isn't the limiting factor there. The tool is just a force multiplier if it's good. What about the tools make it a force multiplier? And we're not going to spend another 1,800,000 hours talking about all the different best practices for <laughs> ServiceNow. <laughs> we got a lot of videos to cover that, but we're going to cover a, a few points on general areas where you can make the tool good so that it's a force multiplier for those people. And I'm going to say that good tools amplify, okay, because we can do this on sticky notes if we have to, okay, but a good tool amplifies visibility and governance. A process could say, this thing is over $5,000, therefore get approval from somewhere. And if I'm doing it on sticky notes, I'm running to Bob's desk and I'm putting a sticky note on it. Can I buy this thing for $5,000? And Bob's going to say yes on the sticky note and run it back to my desk. 
And maybe someday we'll do that over email, but that's not super visible or governed, is it? Not at all. That was kind of like the first miracle of service now. Fred Luddy's first miracle of the word sainthood <laughs> was make it visible. <laughs> get it out of email, get it into a ticket tracking system. This is where, this is the first area where tools force multiply the good people, the good processes, visibility. The second tool is on governance. What can I make the tool say, uh-uh, or yes, please, or go here immediately? How can I get the tool to do that? Or how can I get the tool to tell me where the exceptions are or tell me where the bad outcomes are? So governance is talking about the types of reports you can run against the data that is now visible. Right, absolutely. Like we nudge, nudge vivid charts. But <laughs> we, <laughs> right, governance is about, we have good outcomes we want to maximize, bad outcomes we want to minimize. Let's find out the measurement of the outcomes and where the exceptions are, right? Can't do that unless you first have visibility. But if you have that and visibility, now you're primed for the next two principles of making a tool a force multiplier. So from my perspective, in order for your tool to multiply a good team, I think it needs to be automated and it needs to be integrated. I want the tool to take a, take some of the thinking off of my plate. And what I mean by the thinking, I mean the things that, that happen, that need to happen regardless, that are repeatable, that happen at a certain point in time, and they're always going to happen in a certain way. I want that stuff to be automated and off my plate and clear up cycles, right, in my brain so that I can take care of the human tasks that I have to deal with. You know, stuff that, that requires critical thinking, problem solving, right, and coming up with solutions, right? Mm -hmm. I, want, I want my brain to be reserved for that sort of activity. And I want the tool to be reserved for ensuring that the email went to my manager, you know, and making sure that an approval happened making sure that the end user was notified me that I updated a ticket. Like those sorts of things, I want the tool to do for me automatically. And then I want to be able to focus on why email doesn't work. Why is that mail store constantly going offline every time I restart the service, right? Those sorts of things I need to keep my, my cycles uh, available for. And then integrate it. When I think about integrations, I think about taking a bunch of different sources of data and combining them together into one single source of record, right? Now, single source of record is always ServiceNow, right? If it's not ServiceNow, you're doing it wrong. But it should always be ServiceNow just because it is probably the best integration platform that I've ever used. So you can pretty much connect anything to it. What that means, though, the great thing about what that means is that everything that you already have existed in your current place of business can likely pipe data back to ServiceNow. And if you can pipe the data back to service now, then you can use other parts of the system to automate stuff around that data, your process, right? You can automate your process. You can automate a lot of that other low level, those low level tasks that I was just mentioning, stuff that you can get out, out off your plate, out of your head and, and offload to the computers and have the robots do those things that they're better at and do and more consistent at than you are anyway. When I think about how a good tool multiplies, a good team, it takes a lot of that low level clutter out of your head and it assigns it to robots that do this thing just way better than people do. Just to be frank, it's, they're going to do it on, on schedule. They're going to do it relentlessly. They don't get tired. They don't get bored. They just get it done and you don't have to think about it. You got your good teams, you got your good processes and to make a tool of a good force multiplier for those, 
It needs to be visible, governed, automated, and integrated. Not necessarily right out the gate, but you work on those things and those things gradually force multiply everything else. Absolutely. Okay, wildcard time. We've had our own riff on people processing tools, but we do want to take this one other spot. And that's basically, uh, you know, to reinforce our bias about the people side and where the energy can be placed and where organizations can really move the needle. Because I think we've all been in a spot where we've seen organizations with terrible teams take the best parts of the tool and just make nothing out of it. Right. Absolutely. So it's our contention here that a good team will further refine process and tool in whatever state the process and tool are in. The good teams will improve those naturally. From my perspective, you know, I'm always hit with the one undeniable truth. People are your only uncapped resource. And what does that really mean? That means people are the only resource that you have that will consistently get better. Over time, they're going to learn. They have the opportunity for training. They're going to gain experience, enthusiasm. Like the potential for your team is near unlimited. And what that means is that your team should be your primary focus when you start thinking about ITSM, Mm -hmm. but basically any kind of, you know, from my perspective, from my personal experience, right? Any type of IT triangle that we want to talk about, right? But People should be your primary focus whenever you're talking about any kind of ITSM or ServiceNow process or ServiceNow system, because they're the only thing that you can consistently invest in and make and get better. And if you are investing in them and they're not getting better, they can also be replaced, unfortunately, but sometimes you have to do what you have to do. But ultimately, what it comes down to is that the potential for people to get better is near unlimited. And so it's obvious that your return on investment and the value that will, will be elicited from spending time and effort with that team, it's just obvious where you should put it. Okay, my take on this is that people are the only part of the people process tools triangle that are animate and have a will. Yeah. And tools and processes are inanimate and thus they can't improve on themselves. Right. right. Everybody's been in a position where we're implementing a process and there were good ideas and they were mm, okay ideas or maybe they weren't so okay. Yeah. But the good ideas didn't win the day. And why didn't they win the day? Because they had more convincing, more clout-wielding people to put what they wanted in. If you can get to that point where you have a good team, good culture, they're either going to overcome the processes and tools, or they will naturally improve those along the way. Right. Those other two variables don't self-motivate. They don't self-improve. They don't evolve. They're inanimate. There's no AI, right? So ServiceNow is not going to improve itself, but your people can. Exactly. Hopefully you've taken something of value out of that. You know, we didn't want to just have the 1990s and aughts ITSM blogs all all converge into one podcast. So we hope that you've got some useful information there to make your people process tools equation that much more powerful. But we want to leave you with a special challenge too, because with this COVID thing, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of ground shifting. And I think there's a lot of like ideas that remote work is absolutely prime. Everything can be done by remote work now. And maybe we can distribute our teams all across the globe and we can save a few pennies that way. But I think our challenge to you with this one is that, again, your people are prime and your people are part of a team and that team is itself a unit. So be careful when you put arbitrary time differences, language differences, 
and culture differences between them. I'm not saying like one culture is better than another. You know, I'm not saying offshoring is bad or that offshoring cultures are bad. I'm saying it's different. All right. And difference makes difficult. So don't just run out there and think that we could just offshore all those things that we used to do in an office because we proved that remote work can work because you sacrifice that people part of the equation. And when you sacrifice the people part of the equation, the whole house of cards comes down. Yeah, I, I just think you got to be thoughtful and intentional about the way that you do things. There's no right and wrong way when it, when it really comes down to it. But, you know, there is a right and wrong way on how to build a team. If you have a team that is dependent upon each other, but you put in, you know, an arbitrary time difference between the two, right, then you have to figure out how to overcome that. And sometimes you can't. So maybe what's easier to do is to have the, the aspects of the team that should be close together, closer together. And then other aspects of the team that might be focused on different work be in a different location, right? But when you try to merge both of those together, you're going to often see unintentional side effects. We are at 38 minutes of record, so we got to call it a night. As always, I am a co-host, Robert the Doofadoric. And I am Corey C.J. Wesley.